0: everybody it's pastor chad today is sunday march 7th i believe uh 2021 and welcome to the way radio live Uh, i just want to get right into today's message again it's uh something that i tend to preach on uh once a year or so, it's one of those subjects or topics, doctrines that keeps coming up. Uh, that is extremely important, so it's something I wanted to dive into today. Uh, if you have any trouble hearing or seeing, please comment. If you're watching on the church Facebook page, the Way Radio or the Way Ministry Church Facebook page, and I'll try to make any corrections. Any other uh, comments I don't see until after the broadcast is finished. So let's pray, and we'll get into today's message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather again to uh, learn of you, to learn of your word. And Lord, uh, you are the ultimate authority. You are sufficient for everything we need in life and ministry. And Lord, I just ask that you would uh, touch the hearts of each person that hears this message today, that your Holy Spirit uh, would do a powerful work, that we would see you more clearly, know you more fully, and that you would bless us with wisdom knowledge, and understanding of you through the power and majesty majesty of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the title of the message is The Authority and the Sufficiency of Christ. And one of the reasons I think this topic constantly comes up for me in ministry is because of the uh, Recovery Reformation ministry that is part of what I do. Uh, We have the Way Ministry Church Kenya uh, the Way Radio that we're recording now, and then uh, Recovery Reformation, which is really the, what what started me getting into ministry years ago. But the reason that recovery, the Recovery Reformation ministry came about and continues is because most of the modern church either rejects or has no understanding of the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and His Word in Scripture. And along with that goes a neglect of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we truly understand the authority and sufficiency of Christ and his word, much of what has been introduced into the modern church um, that's humanistic and worldly would not have because we would realize that it's not needed. So, understanding the authority and sufficiency of Christ and his word is extremely important. Now, we often speak of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, but the authority and sufficiency of Scripture stand on the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So, when we say the authority and sufficiency of Scripture, I automatically consider that to be referring to the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And that's what I really want to get into today. Another point that I wanted to make along these lines is the fact that every heresy in the history of the church has gone against the authority and sufficiency of Christ in some way and to varying degrees. And it's fascinating if you go back and you study church history and you look at the the heresies that have come up over and over again, all down through the history of the church, they all have to do with a rejection or a compromising or a corrupting of the doctrine of the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So this is a very, very important topic for us to understand uh, as Christians, and especially if you're a new believer because of the prominence of so much humanism and false teaching in the modern church. If you're going to stay on the narrow path, you're going to truly follow Christ in his truth and seek to be conformed to his image. You have to understand that what the authority and the sufficiency of Christ means. I'm going to base this today on Colossians 1, uh, 15 through 20. So let's look at this portion of scripture. It says, he is the image of the invisible God For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, obviously, we're talking about the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what this is referring to. So what I'm going to do is I want to break this portion of scripture down piece by piece, because it so beautifully conveys what we're talking about today, the the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. So it says, he is the image of the invisible God. What does that mean? It means God the Father, who is otherwise invisible, is is revealed to us by his Son. The only way to see God is to see Jesus Christ. Any conceptual idea of God outside of the revelation of Jesus Christ is false and is idolatry and will lead into heresy or as part of a heretical teaching. So again, God the Father who is otherwise invisible is revealed to us only by and through the Son. The only way to see God is to see Jesus Christ. Any conceptual idea of God outside of the revelation of Jesus Christ is false and idolatry. Let's look at John 14 Verses eight and nine. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? So Christ reprimanded Philip here because even though Philip had been with him for probably two and a half, three years at this time, he still asked him, to show him the Father. He wanted to see God. And what Christ was telling him is, if you are seeing me, you are seeing God. So the lesson in this is, if you want to see God and you want to know who God is, you cannot do it outside or away from or apart from Jesus Christ. We can only know and see God by looking at Christ. Christ is God incarnate. Now again, like I said, every heresy down through church history has done away with this in some way. Now in this verse, it it makes clear that if we want to see God, we have to see Christ. You will never see the Father. He is invisible. He is manifested to us through Christ. So what heresy claims that God the Father was seen at the same time as God the Son? Mormonism. Joseph Smith, the the false prophet, who he made the claim that he was visited by the Father and the Son, and he saw them both simultaneously at the same time. That is an absolute contradiction of scripture. You only see the Father through the Son. God the Father is invisible. God is manifested to us through the Son. That's how we see. God. So you can see there how we can test a false teaching through understanding scripture and through understanding the doctrine of Christ being the second person of the Trinity, God manifest to us. Very important thing for us to understand. So it says, it continues, he is the image of the invisible God. Then it says he is the firstborn of all creation. Now, this sentence, this little portion right here is often taken out of context and used erroneously to reject the deity of Christ and the Trinity. People will take that out of context and say, well, Jesus was a created being. God existed, and then he created Jesus as a person, and that is the person that we read of in history, or that Jesus was created before he was incarnated on, the, on earth, before he walked the planet physically, but he was still a created being. And they'll they'll say, because it says the firstborn of all creation. But what you have to understand is the proper context here and what is meant by the firstborn. Christ is God. He was always with God and he always was God. So it's often used erroneously to reject the deity of Christ and the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What you have to understand is what it's referring to is the fact that Christ has the honor of being the principal heir in the family of God. You could think of Christ as our biggest, our oldest brother. He's the eldest heir and he will and he is he's what brings us the inheritance in the family of God. Jesus was in the beginning with God and he was God. He became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1 teaches that, and we'll get into that a little bit uh, further on in the message. Believers have been adopted into the family of God, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is one of the most amazing aspects of the Christian faith to think that we were in rebellion against God, dead in our sins and trespasses, totally depraved in our sin. Our sin was against God. He not only saves us by sending his Son, who is him incarnate, to die, to suffer and to die for our sins, and then to rise again for our salvation. He not only saves us, but he welcomes us into his family, adopts us as his children, and we actually sit at his family table and dine with him in his eternal kingdom. So we are heirs with Christ, adopted into the family of God because of Christ. Now, regarding the verses that we're talking about today, I want you to notice, to put this into proper context, notice how Colossians 1.16, which says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So verse 16 clearly explains the verse that is so often taken out of context, Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But Paul follows that immediately with verse 16, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he was not a created being. But people don't want to look at verse 16. They just want to focus on that second half of verse 15 and say, well, Christ isn't divine. He was a created being. He's not God. No, that's why Paul included verse 16 to put verse 15 into proper context. Very important lesson for us to understand there. It continues, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ is the sustaining universal force by which all things exist and all things hold together. He is Lord of all, not just believers. And this is another very important point. Christ is Lord of every human being not just believers. He rules everyone, not just Christians. Very important to understand. Acts 17, 28 says, the beginning of that verse says, and uh, for in him we live and move and have our being. When Paul spoke that, he was quoting I believe a Greek philosopher that, that used that phrase. But the point he was making was they were worshiping a multitude of false gods, a multitude of false deities. Really, they were worshiping demons. But Paul made the statement that, that they needed to understand that the one true God is the God in whom we all live and move and have our being. And I use this phrase quite often when people are trying to understand the doctrine, the doctrine of election and God's sovereignty and human free will. What people have to understand when it comes to the topic or the, uh, the doctrine of human free will is there is no way for humans to have a free will outside of the sovereignty of, of God's sovereign will, because in him, everyone lives and moves and has our being. So there has never been any human will enacted in the history of the world that was outside of God's sovereign will, because in him, we live and move and have our being. But what's really interesting about this where it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, is that Jesus is what science is searching for. If you look all down through the history of science and the answers that man is seeking to explain uh, how did the universe come about, why are we here, why does gravity exist, and the big topic right now that's that's been something they've been trying to to, to figure out for so many years now is, what is dark matter? When you get into the very minutiae of scientific research and you get into quantum physics, you realize that there is something called dark matter that holds things together in the universe down to the very smallest levels. This dark force that makes things do what they do, that holds things together, that keeps things from just falling apart... And we can't figure out scientifically what this dark matter is. So, scientists are diligently working to try to create dark matter so that they can understand what it is, to try to get a grasp of what this force is. That force is Jesus Christ because it says in him, all things hold together. So, he is what science is seeking to understand. And one of the saddest things to realize is that so many scientists reject any notion of intelligent design and any notion of the christian gospel message and any notion of jesus christ because they believe it's not scientific to do so because they've been so misled by the train wreck of evolutionary theory which which just falls apart scientifically so easily you can deconstruct it where it would be so much more fascinating if they realized what we are trying to figure out what we we're what we we're researching is how did god do things how were things created by and through and for Christ. That's, if science came at things from that angle, it would be so much more rewarding and so much more fascinating and so much more stimulating. And the interesting thing about that is if you look back at the early scientists, especially someone like uh, Sir Isaac Newton, who so many sciences re- scientists respect, and his work has still has such an influence on modern scientific research, Sir Isaac Newton, I believe it was 75 to 80 percent of his writings were theological. He was a committed Christian who realized that his work was trying to decipher the way God did things. He looked at things from a theological perspective, but modern scientists either don't know that or they don't want to talk about it. So science is trying to discover who Christ is when it comes right down to it. And then it continues and he is the head of the body, the church. All that the church is and does must be to Christ's honor. And glory. Look at Ephesians 1 21 and 23. 21 to 23. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills, again, who fills all in all, the dark matter that they're searching for. So the church its purpose is to honor and glorify Jesus Christ. Very important to understand. Now it says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus' resurrection was the beginning of the new creation. He makes all things new. He is the firstborn from the dead, and those who believe in and trust in him will be raised by the same power that resurrected Christ from the dead when he rose on the third day and walked out of the tomb for our salvation. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. So that same power that raised Christ is what will raise us. I was speaking to someone the other day about the shroud of Turin, and they said someone... Uh, claims that they've been able to reproduce the image on the, cr- the shot of turn. And I don't believe that's true. I still need to look into it. But one thing that scientists have always tried to figure out is how could a photographic negative have been imprinted on this cloth They say it is a source, a light source beyond anything that we've ever experienced before. And I've always leaned towards believing that the Shroud of Turin could very well be the shroud that Christ was wrapped in. And the reason that his image is on there as a photographic negative is because when he was regenerated and the power, his power, the power of God brought him back to life, that flash of energy, because it says God is light. He he dwells in unapproachable light. That's what left that photographic negative negative on the Shroud of Turin. So I'm just digressing a little bit from my message. But the fact is that same power that raised Christ and he walked out of the tomb and brought him back to life is the same power that will resurrect us on that final day, which we are moving towards. It continues, that in everything he might be preeminent that in everything, Jesus Christ might be preeminent. Christ is Lord of all. He is the Lord of, the creator of, the sustainer of the universe, and everything in it. Is there a stronger claim of his sufficiency that in everything he is preeminent? Look at Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, again, if you are outside of Christ, you are, in your condom- you are still in condemnation and you are headed to eternal destruction. There are only two ways in the world. You're either in Christ or you're in sin. You're either in the world or you're in the body of Christ. If you are not in Christ, you better start praying that you can figure out, that you can start to understand the gospel message. Because you do not want to be outside of Christ on that final day. Another very important here to under, point to understand, no other name among uh, given among men by which we must be saved, only the name of Christ. A concept of a Jesus that's conveyed through a false gospel can be accepted by anyone. This is such a picture of the modern church. A concept of a false Jesus conveyed through a false gospel can be accepted by anyone. It's very easy to accept and say that you're following that Jesus. Why? Because there's no veil or blindness to be overcome. The only way that a lost sinner, dead in their sins and trespasses, can understand the gospel and be brought to Christ is through the power of the Holy Spirit removing the veil of blindness so that they can see the truth of who Jesus Christ is and understand the gospel. It's If you're following across a false Christ, there's no cost to count. You don't have to give up anything to follow him. The modern Jesus that we hear about so much in the modern church, he makes all your dreams come true. You'll have prosperity. You'll have the big house. Everything you want will be yours if you just give Jesus a try. That's not Christ of Scripture. So there's no cost to count. There's no cost to count. But with that Christ, there's also no regeneration. There's no transformation, and there is also no salvation. So you better understand who the Christ of Acts 4.12 is. We must believe in, trust in, and know the one true Christ, because no other name has the power to save. You see? For in him, it continues, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And again, I'm going through... um, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going through 1 Corinthians 1, 15 through 20, which continues, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Remember at the beginning I said Christ is God. Christ is God manifest. If you want to see the Father, you can only know him and see him through the Son. Jesus is sufficient for the salvation of those sinners that he came to save. Without his divinity, without the Trinity, the gospel is void. The atonement is not sufficient, and condemnation remains. I just ran into this this week with someone who I thought was a Christian, and then out of the blue, they denied the Trinity. They said they don't believe in the Trinity, because really because the word Trinity is not in Scripture, so they reject it. But we have the Trinity pictured all down through the Scriptures. My favorite is Christ's baptism. The Son was being baptized. The Father spoke from heaven and said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I'm paraphrasing. And the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. So we had a picture there of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The reason it's so important to believe in the Trinity and to understand the Trinity is because the Trinity is what brings us to salvation. Christ died for our sins. He was sent by the Father, and we cannot know Christ without the working of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have the Trinity working for the gospel to be effective. You see? John 1, verses 1 and 2 and 14 talk about Christ's divinity. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. Notice it's capitalized. It's referring to Jesus. And the Word was with God. So in the beginning was Christ, and Christ was with God. And Christ was God. It says, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is God incarnate. And it continues, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. When mankind fell, corruption of all creation came in. And this is another really interesting portion of scripture to study, is the fact that when Christ returns and we have the new heavens and the new earth, the corruption that the earth has been subject to since the fall of man will no longer be there. So creation will be redeemed with the sons of God, that Christ came to save. Look at Romans 8, 19 through 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So creation will be renewed on that final day as we are recon- as we are um, resurrected in Christ. We are reconciled and we have peace with the Father only through the Son. That's why John fourteen six is a verse that I constantly quote. Jesus said to him, "I am the way." and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ made peace by the blood of his cross, and he reconciled all things, whether on earth or in heaven, to God through that sacrifice. Now I want to turn a corner here and look at four heretical concepts that Paul addresses in Colossians and then overcomes with the sufficiency of Christ. Remember at the beginning I said that every heresy since the beginning of the church has rejected to some, in some way and to some measure the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and the gospel message. And Paul addresses these in Colossians, and then he overcomes them with proving the sufficiency of Christ. So the first heretical concept that Paul addresses in Colossians is Gnosticism, which is secret or special, special knowledge required for salvation. This is something that's becoming very popular again in the modern age through the New Age movement and also through uh, the Bethel New Apostolic Reformation movement, Pentecostalism. Look at Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Paul writes about it. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So he's saying if you have Christ in you, if you are filled with Christ, do not be drawn away by the erroneous philosophies and false teachings of the world claiming that you have to seek some special knowledge, and that's where salvation is found. He addresses legalism in Colossians 2, 11 through 17. having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The point that Paul is making is you do not have to carry out legal requirements in order to be saved. We are saved simply by placing our faith and our trust in Christ and the work that he accomplished in our behalf. The next heretical concept that he addresses is mysticism. And again, this is another big one that's rearing its ugly head in the modern age. Look at Colossians 2, 18 through 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth, growth that is from God mysticism is becoming very popular again in the world. And the last one is asceticism that he addresses in Colossians 2, 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. One of the ways to think of asceticism is to think of the, the Indian yogis that lay on bed of nails, that get into these strange positions, that torture themselves year after year, thinking that they're ascending to a higher spiritual realm. That is not in any way... Christian. You see? So I just gave you the, the, these, these four heretical concepts, and what I want you to understand is the elements of these heresies have never left the church for good. They've continued in different forms down through the history of the church. So I gave you just examples from Scripture in the book of Colossians where Paul addresses Gnosticism, legalism, Mysticism, and Asceticism. And the reason I wanted to bring those up is because what we face today in the modern church is very similar to what the Colossians faced. So many of the issues and heresies that we face in the modern church come down to a lack of faith in or no understanding of the authority and sufficiency of Christ and his gospel. And if you don't understand the authority and sufficiency of Christ and his gospel, and you are misled, into believing that something else has to be added to that, then what's going to happen? You will be easily drawn into a false, false gnostic teaching. You could be drawn into legalism, Roman Catholicism, Mormonism are very legalistic. You have to do certain things if you want salvation. Mysticism, like I said, the New Apostolic Reformation, the Bethel Church movement, Pentecostalism, where they've had visions. And they're obsessed with this supernatural circus act and asceticism, which is very close to legalism. So Paul responds in that book to each heresy, how? By proclaiming the authority and sufficiency of Christ. If you look back through each of those scriptures that I shared, Paul combats each one of those false teachings by reiterating in different ways the authority and sufficiency of Christ. Gnosticism is an empty, false, philosophical arguments that are used to deceive people. You will not be drawn into it if you understand the authority and sufficiency of Christ. Think of Psalm 23. What does it begin with? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If he is filling you up, you won't want anything else, so you're protected from being drawn away into these false beliefs legalism, any theory of salvation that adds something to the completed work of Christ. This is one of the most subtle false teachings that we've had all through church history. And again, the two, three big ones that I automatically think of when I think of adding any theory of salvation that adds something to the completed work of Christ would be Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. Mysticism. False teachers were encouraging worship of angels. That is becoming very popular again. The false teachers claimed to have received a vision from God. What do we see constantly if you look on social media? Confessing Christians claiming that they are receiving visions from God and new revelations and they're calling themselves apostles and prophets. This movement, again, carries on heavily through the New Apostolic Reformation, Bethel Movement, and Pentecostalism. This is one of the biggest enemies that we battle in our work in Kenya. We're hopefully very close to starting a pastoral training school in Nairobi there, and it's to combat especially these false beliefs. That there are now apostles, just like the original apostles, that there are now prophets receiving extra-biblical revelation. That's all heretical, and it's leading people astray, and it is it is probably the fastest-growing heresy in the world right now. The person and work of Christ are already revealed by God in His final word, the Scriptures. That's why we are told in Scripture, do not take anything away from it and do not add anything to it. And it's why the the prophets in scripture are referred to in the past tense, the apostles and prophets. And that's why Christ said the, the law and the prophets were until John. We do not need any apostles. We do not need any prophets. We simply need to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully from his word without compromise and without capitulation to the ways of the world. So so those false teachings, like I said, are probably the most destructive spreading throughout the world right now. And then asceticism is the last one that Paul addresses, which is false teachings regarding not eating certain things and not doing certain things. Only one thing is effective in overcoming the sinful desires of the flesh, the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ. You don't have to work and pay attention to not doing this or not doing that. Things that are sinful, that are going to go against Christ, you will automatically not do because you are in Christ. You see? Again, this is what the whole Recovery Reformation ministry is based on. We don't need programs. We don't need steps. We don't need to to be thinking like that. If we are in Christ, He will guide us on the proper path, and we will easily turn away from the sins that used to make us stumble that may have almost killed us. You see? So Paul addresses all these things. Our union with Christ, the cross, and his resurrection is what's important. And understanding that Christ is sufficient for the believer in our struggles against sin. If you're struggling with sin, if sin is tripping you up, if you're addicted, or whatever it is, everybody has their different types of sin. And again, dealing with recovery, reformation, addicts and alcoholics are sort of set on the special, uh, sort of set apart from humanity and say, well, you know, they have a disease, so they need to be treated clinically, they need to be treated in a special way. Nowhere do you find that in Christian history. Sin is sin, you deal with it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we use. Understanding that Christ is sufficient for the believer in any struggle against sin. Daily fellowship with Christ, feeding on and strengthened by the word, prayer. By these things, we can subdue the flesh and live holy lives, but you've got to do it diligently. And that's why these types of messages are so important in the age in which we live, because we've had generations now where the gospel's been neglected. And I have talked to pastor after pastor, again, who have contacted me through the Recovery Reformation Ministry Who have no understanding of the authority and sufficiency of scripture and the authority and sufficiency of Christ because they have been raised for generations to think that you deal with people through their perceived needs. This person has this issue, so we need to deal with him through psychological means and we'll mix in some Bible verses. This person has this issue, so we'll deal with him psychiatrically. Maybe he needs some meds and then we'll mix in some scripture. This is how the whole Celebrate Recovery program came about. They just took the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, which directly contradict the gospel of Jesus Christ, and think, wow, if we just mix in some Bible verses with this, we can market it as a Christian program, and that's what we'll use. And the thing I always ask those pastors that try to defend that program is then, how do you ever preach 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that talks about the authority and sufficiency of Scripture? Because if you do, you're a hypocrite, because if you believed in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which I'm going to quote here in a little bit. You could never agree to have a program like that in your church. Very severe problems we're dealing with today. And just in the last week, I've been contacted with people regarding these things. What Christ accomplished on the cross, his death and resurrection are sufficient to overcome the separation between God and us and to carry us through in our sanctification to the final day when we will go to be with the Lord. Consider this so much of what we have in Jesus Christ is missed simply through a lack of faith. As a result of being united with Christ, believers have perfection and fullness. We just need to strive for that through the power that we are given by the Holy Spirit in Christ. So much of the Holy Spirit passing from the loving hand of God through the blessed and worthy hand of Christ is stifled by the contemporary church's compromising and capitulation to the things of this world. The reason that people look elsewhere and outside of the Christian faith and outside of Christ and his word is because they don't have faith in it. And you can't have faith in it if you don't study it prayerfully and strive to learn everything you can about it. God's grace and love and blessings and glory are poured out to us through Jesus Christ. Faith is increased by prayer, fellowship with Christ, abiding in Him and His Word, and the ultimate knowledge of God is Christ. Look to Him. Cling to Him. Look to the cross. Saturate yourself with the Word of God. Your faith will increase. It will be strengthened. Your belief will be deepened. And the things that you think you'll never have victory over you will leave behind you in the dust, and it will be to God's glory. Folks, the gospel is perfect, and Christ is sufficient. John Wycliffe, who lived from 1328 to 1384, an amazing man of God, said, the gospel alone is sufficient to rule the lives of Christians everywhere. Any additional rules made to govern men's conduct added nothing to the perfection already found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is perfect, and nothing compares to it. There is no need for anything else for any reason. This is very important. The gospel is not an opinion, it's not a theory, and it's not a philosophy. The gospel is the only infallible and pure truth, the revelation of the eternal mind of God. Everything man comes up with and has ever come up with outside of God's word, is in some way an opinion, a theory, or a philosophy. This is why the self-help self-help business has made billions of dollars over the years because it doesn't work, you see? This is why the recovery industry makes so much money running people through rehab centers all the time. Their success rate is less than 1%, but they charge people a fortune to go through these programs. And then when they fail, they come, they bring them back and they pay them again to go through it. It's an abject failure why because they're dealing they're trying to, to deal with something they call disease when they should be dealing with sin. And the only way to deal with sin is through the authority and sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his word and his gospel. And because they're not doing that, they continue to fail. It's a it's one of the most glaring pictures we have in the modern church of the failure that's taking place because it's it's totally wrapped up in the recovery industry. Ask yourself if you can say this from the heart, what Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now that word ashamed, you might think, no, I, I talk about Christ to people, but are you truly relying only on him? Or are there places in your life where your faith is weak, so you rely on things of the world, or you look you look to the world for answers for certain things that you might be dealing with or struggling with. Rely on him 100%. Look to him, and he will never leave you or forsake you. Christ is sufficient for our salvation and for our sanctification. He will bring us to glory in him, and we will be renewed every day growing more and more in the image of Christ and shining brighter with his light if we are faithfully relying on him and understanding the authority and the sufficiency of him and his word through the gospel. I'll close with 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. We are complete in Christ. His word gives us everything we need. And every work that we have to do in our ministry for Christ, we find from His word. Folks, don't add to it. Don't tolerate anyone else that tries to add to it. Don't don't tolerate anyone else that tries to claim that you have to add to the atonement. When Christ said, It is finished on the cross, it was finished. Our debt is paid when he rose, our salvation was guaranteed. Don't let anyone steal that from you or try to steal that from you. And that is what so much of the modern church is trying to do these days. Fight back against that big time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your word. Uh, I ask that you would uh, open the hearts and the minds and the spirits of every person that hears this message, uh, the, the authority and sufficiency of you and your word Would be greater, would be more deeply understood. And people would understand the importance of praying that our belief would be deepened and our faith would be strengthened. Lord, we live in crazy, dark, chaotic, and confusing times, but they don't have to be for us because we simply look to you, we look to your word, and we have peace, and we have calm, and we have joy. Please give us the courage and the boldness and the confidence we need to proclaim the gospel without compromise, uh, to stand on your word boldly, and to shine brightly with your light into the world around us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening today, folks. Uh, If you'd like to check out the website, you can find it at the way, the letter r122.org um this is recorded and then i release it as a podcast usually on friday or saturday of the following week you can subscribe to the podcast by going to the christian and there's a search field just type in the way radio it'll take you right to our page you can also listen to a lot of other great podcasts there so please check that out uh we're currently just staying on youtube because we're finding it difficult to get everything transferred quickly to another uh, platform. So until they completely shut Christians down, we will be there. Uh, just search for the way ministry church, look for the, uh, Kenya shield logo. And, uh, we very much need your help financially. And you can do that by going to the way R 122org Just click on the donate page. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, we've got some great new opportunities that are, that have been presented to us in Kenya. Um, My greatest concern in the last few years since I've been going there and working there is the prevalence of false teachings. Um, I've been shocked by how many pastors that are actually working as pastors have very little understanding of Christian doctrine. Um, Some really don't even understand the gospel message. Uh, So we're very much trying to move forward in setting up a pastoral, I call it a pastoral training school, but but I'm really hoping it would just be a Bible school for anyone who wants to learn solid Christian doctrine in Nairobi, in an area that's very centrally located to the rest of the country, uh, where people can get to easily. And um, Hopefully that will come about in the next couple of weeks. I believe we have a meeting with another ministry that we may team up with in the next week or so. And if that comes together, then hopefully we'll be fast tracking that. But it's going to take a lot of resources to make that go. I've already started sending them teaching materials um, to the pastor that will be heading that up for us there and uh, it's just a huge opportunity. I'm real excited about it. So please continue uh, helping us out. If you can sign up for a monthly donation, that really helps us because then we know what we can depend on and what we can commit to each month. All right. Thank you again for listening. We will be back here next week. Same time, same place. God bless you guys. Take care.